Volume two, chapter three of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Not so soon nor so easily did the artless, the devoted Rosaline lose the remembrance of her heartfelt sorrows. Every hour, every moment as it fled, brought with it an increase of anguish to her agitated mind. The most distant idea of an union with the baron was scarcely to be borne, as the certainty of it no longer admitted of a doubt. She shrunk from her own reflections as she would have done from the stroke of death. To be forever torn from Walter, to see him no more, no more to converse with and soothe the sorrows of that oppressed and solitary sufferer, was by far a more unsupportable trial than that she was doomed to endure in her own mind and person. From the world and its unsatisfactory pleasures she could expect no resource. Friends she had none whose powers could remove her distresses. Her only hope, therefore, rested on death to release her from persecution, and the reflection most tormenting to the giddy and happy children of prosperity, who consider life as their greatest treasure, and over whose minds a thought of its termination will throw a gloom in the midst of their gayest moments, proved to our heroine her only consolation. She now considered the shortness and uncertainty of life as its greatest blessing, and feared that time, of whom she had often complained for being so rapid and unmarked in its flight, would now torture her by moving in a slow and sluggard pace to the close of her days. She continued as usual to make her stolen visits to the prisoner as opportunities presented themselves, but these visits were not longer attended with the pleasure of satisfaction. In her own mind she formed a resolution, even if the consequence should prove fatal to herself, to attempt obtaining the freedom of the prisoner as soon as she had lost her own. This she considered merely an act of humanity and justice, and would have thought no sacrifice too great could she have restored that peace of which she knew her loss would deprive him. Walter, notwithstanding much pains were taken to prevent his making any discovery of what passed in the castle, observed so alarming an alteration in the manners, countenance, and spirits of Rosaline, as led him to puzzle himself with various conjectures respecting the cause. But as he had been often told by Albert, many things occurred in the world to harass and give uneasiness to those who were engaged in its busy scenes, of which he could form no idea being a stranger to their nature, it was impossible for him to judge of their effect. He therefore determined not to enter on a topic which might wound the feelings of Rosaline, and could not fail proportionally to distress himself, and as he would, had it been in his power, have prevented her knowing the slightest pang of sorrow, to her he resolutely remained silent on a subject in which his heart was so much interested as seldom to allow his thinking on any other. To Albert, indeed, he ventured to make known his tormenting apprehensions, but as Albert was now guided by the direction of Edwin, he only returned such evasive answers to his questions and complaints as just served to keep hope from sinking into absolute despondency. Edwin had reposed an unbounded confidence in de Clavering, de Willows, and Hugh Camelford in regard to his sister, and without reserve informed them of his own engagements with Madeline, who had received the positive commands of her father to enter on the year of her novitiate. His situation was now become desperate. 
the crisis had arrived which admitted of no alternative he must either give up the connection or make some effort to secure the prize he had taken such unwearied pains to obtain his friends promised secrecy and assistance in whatever way he should find it convenient to put their sincerity to the test he had likewise separately introduced them into the apartment of the prisoner and if before they saw him they found themselves disposed to pity and respect him they were now actuated by the personal regard they could not help feeling on his behalf which his manners and understanding failed not to inspire in such liberal minds hugh camelford declared himself ready to tie in his defence and to encounter a host of tevils to procure his freedom preparations were now begun and the day fixed for the wedding the marriage ceremony was to be performed in the chapel of the nunnery by father anselm and as roseline made no effort to stop or postpone the proceedings none but the parties most intimately concerned had an idea that she felt any reluctance to become a bride edeliza and bertha were half wild with joy they were to be met at the altar by the abbess madeline and agnes clifford the two latter attended to officiate as bridesmaids with the miss de Morneys. to describe the various feelings of the parties would fill a volume suffice it then to say that lady de Morney, far from engaging in the necessary arrangements with pleasure and alacrity never looked at the dejected countenance of her daughter without feeling a severe reproof from the silent monitor which she like every other mortal carried in her bosom sir philip exulted in having managed matters so cleverly as to carry his point a point to which the necessity of his circumstances reduced him with less difficulty than he expected and the baron resting satisfied that no woman in her senses could dislike him or be insensible to the advantage that an union with a man of his rank and character would procure her determined no longer to encourage either doubts or fears as to her shyness and reluctant compliance it might as her father had asserted proceed from her inexperience her love for her parents and her ignorance of the world in this delusion we must for the present leave him in order to return to those for whose happiness we confess ourselves more interested rosaline who was obliged to confine her conflicts chiefly to her own bosom saw the preparations going forward with that settled and silent despair which at the moment it invinced her fortitude would have shown to those acquainted with the nature of her feelings that every hope was precluded Adeliza and bertha were astonished that their sister could see the rich clothes and all the paraphernalia of her bridal dress with such indifference the former secretly thought that she should not be able to show so much composure if she were as soon to give her hand to her favourite de willows the passion which this young beauty had cherished in her innocent bosom had grown with her growth and strengthened with her strength and lately encouraged to hope meeting an equal return from the increasing attention of the beloved object it remained no longer in her power to conceal her partiality and de willows attached and grateful for being so flatteringly distinguished only waited till the marriage of her sister had taken place to make his own inclinations to sir philip not anxious than his lovely enslaver to have his pretensions authorized by the approbation and consent of her father but he was not without his fears that the ambition which had of late taken such full possession of the governor's mind 
might disapprove his aspiring to unite himself with a descendant of the de Morneys. The day before the marriage was to take place, Rosaline made several attempts to enter the prisoner's apartment without being able to accomplish her purpose. At length she sent to speak with her brother Edwin in her chamber, and begged him to never forsake the dear, the unhappy Walter, when she should be far distant. She then gave him a letter to deliver to her unfortunate lover as soon as she had left the castle. Of Madeline she proposed to take leave in person. On her brother's affairs she dared not trust herself to converse, confessing that her own distress rendered her unable to talk or even think of his being as wretched as herself. Edwin in reply said but little. His mind seemed agitated and employed on something he did not appear inclined to communicate. He readily agreed to comply with her request to accompany her for the last time to the apartment of Walter. They found the solitary sufferer more composed and more cheerful than they had seen him for some time. Albert, too, appeared lively and active. Rosaline was welcomed by her lover in a language far more expressive than words and as perfectly understood. His eyes rested on her pallid and death-like countenance with a fond yet chastened delight which she thought she had never observed in them before. He took her hand, pressed it to his lips, and looked up to her with that kind of adoration which he would have felt in the presence of an angel. He did not seem to notice the dejection which Rosaline every moment expected would have occasioned some tender inquiries. Edwin began to converse on indifferent subjects, but the silent anguish he saw his sister vainly endeavouring to conceal rendered him very unfit for the office he had undertaken. The lovers were never less inclined to talk. The prisoner had taken the hand of Rosaline on her first entrance, and retained the willing captive without its making one struggle to regain its freedom, till she was startled by a tear that fell upon it. Nature, how powerful, how all-subduing is thy simple but prevailing influence! The tenderest speech could not have said half so much as this precious and expressive tear. Till this moment our heroine had preserved the appearance of fortitude, but now the mask fell to the ground, and she could no longer keep up the character of heroism she had assumed. By a kind of convulsive pressure of his hand, he perceived she noticed his silent agitations, and it acted with the rapidity of electricity on feelings which he found could no longer be restrained. "'My dear Walter,' said Rosaline, giving him a look that penetrated to his heart, "'why will you thus distress yourself and me? You know not, you can never know, how dear you are to the ill-fated Rosaline de Morny, whom ere long you will perhaps execrate, and wish you had never seen, but forbear, in pity forbear to load me with a curse.' that would indeed destroy me. Suddenly recollecting herself, she added, Walter will not be so unjust. He will pity, pardon, and respect her who will not be able to forgive herself if she make him wretched. Wretched! exclaimed the agitated lover. Can I ever be wretched while you thus kindly condescend to soothe my sorrows, thus generously confess that I am dear to you, and possessed of your heart? Can it be in the power of fate to make me otherwise than blessed? It was too much. 
Rosaline sunk on the bosom of her lover, and at that moment secretly wished to breathe her last sigh and yield up her spotless life in those arms which now perhaps for the last time encircled her. The situation of Rosaline caused general alarm. Walter, frantic with terror, clasped her tenderly to his heart and called upon her to speak. It was some time before she recovered, and Edwin, who saw the necessity of putting an end to an interview so dangerous and painful, in a voice between jest and earnest exclaimed, "'Indeed, my good friends, I have no relish for seeing such scenes as these performed, particularly when they do so little credit to the performers. These high-wrought feelings may be very fine, but excuse me for saying they are very silly. Recollect, my dear Walter, that our Rosaline advances but slowly in her progress towards convalescence. Therefore, in her present state of weakness, an interview like this must prove very prejudicial to her recovery. Take her away, cried Walter, that I may not become a murderer. Only before we part, let me hear my pardon pronounced. He threw himself at the feet of his weeping mistress, who, giving him her hand, said with a convulsive sob, There could be no doubt of pardon where no offence has been committed. Edwin availed himself of this moment as the most favourable to withdraw. He took the reluctant hand of his sister, and with a gentle compulsion drew her away, saying he would not tax his feelings by staying any longer. Rosaline again, and almost unknowing what she did, grasped the hand of her lover, and in a voice too low to be perfectly understood, murmured some tender admonitions, which we doubt not were intelligible to the ear of love, but to an indifferent person they might as well have been expressed in Arabic. Till the door shut Walter from her sight, her eyes were fixed immovably upon his face, with such a look of anguish as may be easier imagined than described and when she could see him no longer, she thought the deprivation of life would have been the greatest blessing heaven could bestow on one so hopeless, and had it not been for her father's dreadful threat of destroying himself, she would have thrown herself at the baron's feet, and informed him how little she deserved to be his wife, who had bestowed her love upon another. Edwin accompanied his sister to her apartment, but had too much consideration, too much respect for her sorrows, to break in upon moments sad but precious. Happily, however, for this amiable unfortunate, she was not long permitted to indulge her heart-breaking reflections in solitude. Her mother and sisters requested her presence to consult her taste and hear her opinion on some of the preparations going forwards. Sir Philip, from the time he had extorted her unwilling consent, had carefully avoided another private interview but had taken every opportunity of caressing her in the presence of her friends, frequently making use of various pretenses to get the intended bridegroom out in order to draw off his attention from Rosaline, constantly trembling lest she should appeal to his generosity or disgust him with her coldness. Prohibited by her father's cruel vow from applying to any one, she had no alternative but to yield to her destiny and combat her sorrows unconsoled and unsupported except by her distracted brother who was unfortunately nearly as hopeless as herself 
thus environed with misery thus entangled in the subtle toys of cruelty and oppression she was at times led to think she should be less wretched if her fate were determined concluding from the torturing sensation of her present feelings she could not long support them the bustle hurry and confusion which pervaded every department of the castle afforded none of its inhabitants much time for reflection or conversation lady de morney wished to question her daughter but was afraid of making the attempt she found it difficult however to obey the mandate of her husband which though unnatural and unreasonable was absolute therefore after some few conflicts with herself she thought it better not to contend a point of so much consequence she saw the internal wretchedness of her daughter with the tenderest regret and shuddered whenever she remarked her cold and freezing manner as soon as the baron approached to pay her those attentions due from a lover she took every opportunity of giving her approbation of her conduct and by a thousand nameless proofs of tenderness showed a commiserating sympathy which did not pass unobserved by roseline who though she received these marks of affections in silence determined to avail herself of her mother's tenderness by endeavouring to interest her in favour of the man to whom she had given her heart the dreaded morning came but it came enveloped in a gloom which exactly corresponded with the feelings spirits and prospects of the morning bride the sun arose invisible to mortal sight as if unwilling to witness a deed his brightest rays could not enliven dark lowering clouds threatened to touch the turrets of the castle the rain descended in torrents it appeared to the disconsolate roseline that the very heavens wept in pity to her sorrows the thought was romantic but it was consoling melancholy and even madness itself are said to have their pleasures and the most wretched sometimes steal comfort from the delusions of imagination happy is it that such resources are found to sweeten the bitter draught so many are compelled to drink roseline submitted to be dressed as the taste of her attendants chose to direct she was silent and passive and made no remarks on the elegance of her attire or the brilliancy of the ornaments with which she was decorated when summoned to breakfast she attempted no delay and on her entrance was met by the baron who addressed her in a very tender and respectful speech as he gallantly led her to her seat she would have assumed a smile had she been able to command her features she would have said something but speech was denied indeed none of the company appeared in a humour to converse lady de morney was sad and sick at heart and sir philip himself in the very moment he saw the gratification of his wishes in so fair a train to be realized felt neither satisfied nor happy End of chapter three volume two